and welcome to another episode of Immigration and Mobility Decoded, a podcast about business immigration and global mobility. As always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Finn. And Finn, how are you doing on this uh, Monday morning as we record? Eric, we're doing great. Uh, happy Monday to you. Uh, I'm super excited for the upcoming conversation with uh with, with with my brother from another island uh aaron flynn <laughs> over there in ireland nice uh, you'll, yeah you'll definitely hear me in this conversation quite a few times reference my irish heritage because anyone who's in america who has irish heritage can't not talk about it so For, i mean hey uh, my brother-in-law is irish and so um i know in that in, in the conversation coming with aaron flynn that everyone will hear in a few moments uh one of the things that he hits on that i was uh, super fascinated by and i actually uh, texted my brother-in-law afterwards was that uh, if you if your grandparents are immigrated to the U.S. Uh, from Ireland, you can actually get dual citizenship. Um, so, Finn, is that something you're going to do? Yeah, I have to check the lineage from my side. Uh, there's all sorts of you know myth and lore in Irish families, uh, some of which is true, some of which is not. So you're going to have to maybe download the. I'll have to download the ancestry.com profile and uh, see what see if I'm qualified. The the yeah, for sure, for sure. Do you know what part of Ireland uh your family roots are in? Or yeah, from? mostly from the West Coast. I know that a lot of our family came uh came during the famine in like the eighteen forties and fifties over to New England and uh changed our last name to a more anglicized version. So we've been in the States for a while, but uh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, super excited for everyone to hear that conversation with Aaron Flynn, uh, for, he's the director of, uh, Ireland immigration here at, at Envoy Global, uh, wide ranging conversation on all, all aspects of the Irish immigration system. Uh, Finn, in addition to, you know, potential for, for dual citizenship, um, what else stood out to you when talking about Irish immigration, the Irish immigration system with, with Aaron? Yeah, it was it was really cool hearing Aaron's perspective as uh, a native Irishman, right, and as somebody who's been in immigration for for many years mm -hmm. now. Um, because one thing he highlights in the conversation is that Irish immigration policy is very new, right? Yeah. Ireland was historically known as a place that people left, not as a place that people are coming to, and that's really changed in the last decade or two. Um, and one thing Aaron talks about is is the immigration day that Envoy hosted a few weeks back. Uh, where you know thought leaders and, and policymakers even from the Irish government were coming together and essentially narrowing down uh, the reasons that Irish that Ireland's immigration policy has been so successful in the last few years and how other countries can emulate it. So Aaron, you know, really walks us through uh, the interesting journey that Ireland's had in the last couple of decades from going to a place that didn't really have a, a solid immigration policy because it was most known for people leaving yeah. to a country that now other governments are using as a blueprint to design their immigration policy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So we get into all those details and much more. Um, and just another fun tidbit that I found interesting. I think he was saying that uh, businesses can't secure a, like a, a work permit and as quick as like two weeks so <laughs> super quick. Yeah, it was quite the contrast to what uh, we typically talk about with U.S. immigration policy right. experts here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, awesome. Well, that conversation is coming up in just a moment. Uh, but before we get there, uh, definitely 
Oh, just a reminder that if you are not subscribed to the Envoy Global uh, YouTube channel, that you know definitely hit that subscribe button, uh, like this podcast episode. Uh, if you haven't, uh, we also recommend checking out the H1B uh, lottery update uh, video that we published uh, about a week and a half ago, just regarding the alleged fraud. Um, Finn, you spoke with uh, two uh, uh, attorneys at Corporate Immigration Partners, Eddie Hogan and Ryan Harris, and they uh, gave their reactions and insights. Uh, super insightful video. Definitely recommend uh, all the viewers check that out. And if you are lis- uh, listening on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, definitely would appreciate a follow. Um, Finn, anything else before we hop into our chat with Aaron Flynn? No, nothing else. I mean, we'll be closely uh, tracking any updates on the H-1B lottery front uh, and sharing those with the audience in future episodes. But right now, happy to pivot outside of the U.S. to uh, you know a different country's immigration system in this conversation with Aaron. And now I'd like to welcome Aaron Flynn, the Director of Ireland Immigration at Envoy Global to Immigration and Mobility Decoded. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show. How are things going? Really good, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show. Been looking forward to this since you first mentioned it. Yeah, very yeah, good. Fin- Finn and I, Finn and I have been very much looking forward to this as well. We have a, we have a lot of questions for you as we're super curious to learn more about uh, Ireland immigration and all the all the cool things going on over there. But uh, Aaron, before we get into some of the the, the details about immigration and whatnot. Can you tell us, uh, can you first tell us about your career and, you know, what drew you to the field of immigration? Uh, Good question. I actually ended up in immigration almost by accident. So I used to work for uh, the, the, the government's lawyer in Ireland called the Chief State Solicitor, part of the Attorney General's office. And that works in all of the areas of law, but they had a need for somebody in immigration it was quite a busy area. I had been working in a different area and they asked me to go help out. I went over there and really liked it from the start. I ended up doing part of my traineeship as a solicitor, as a lawyer when I was qualifying in that unit. And I ended up going back there when I qualified and then did another, I think eight, nine years with that office. So it was almost by accident, but yeah, did a, did a mix of stuff, did advisory, did court work uh, in Ireland, court work out into Luxembourg, really, really interesting area. And so, yeah, I was pretty committed to it then afterwards. It was, it was an area I could see a future in. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I always appreciate hearing stories of how, you know, us, like we get into the fields that we get into, because it's something like we maybe don't always set out to do, but, you know, it's just where, where things take us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As I say, it wasn't a plan. I hadn't looked at it as an area that I would like to have been into. But it's very interesting in Ireland because obviously it's Irish law, it's European law. You're dealing with international people. Uh, Ireland has a relatively short immigration history, so it's new. But yeah, it was it was definitely an area that when I first started into, I could you know, see a longer career, you know, play out before me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And as part of your career, as, as played out, you actually ran your own uh, firm for a few years. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that part of your career and, you know, the experiences, things you learned and anything else? Yeah, I had my own firm for about three years, something I always wanted to do. I think, you know, lots of us, we want to maybe do our own thing. Um, I set it up in 2019, just before COVID, which wasn't the best time to set up a new law firm, but really enjoyed it. A very interesting experience because having practiced law for quite a while, I then had to move across into more business thinking. So I did pretty much everything in relation to setting it up from designing my brand, my logo. I built my website, built all of the materials, networked up with old clients, colleagues, and yeah, started it up. I pretty much had a few clients when I started, then COVID came along. That changed things, obviously, for all of us, uh, there's no doubt. But in terms of immigration, obviously, lots of people then paused, stuck where they were. I had a mix of private client work and corporate work. And as COVID kind of continued, I did more of the private client work, mostly citizenship, naturalization, a lot of what's called foreign birth registration, which is citizenship for people who are mostly grandchildren, sometimes great grandchildren of Irish people. So yeah, it was a really enjoyable experience. Uh, had lots of, you know, help from people from, you know, old colleagues, friends, people internationally, and built up quite a big practice, even during that COVID period. And yeah, uh, then eventually, you know, had another opportunity and, and moved on. But yeah, it's something I really enjoyed doing. Aaron, you may have received an inquiry from me uh, in those years because I'm one of those great grandchildren of an Irish immigrant oh, to the wow. United States trying to hop on that uh, that dual citizenship opportunity wagon. Yeah, wow. That's uh, well, look, it's something that Ireland is, has in their citizenship act, I think, since the 50s. And we might talk uh, about it in a different way, but um, yeah, so it's it's something that's very important to people. I think if if I could say anything about Ireland is, you know, you talk about Ireland, small country, four million people, six million people, maybe on the whole island. But what is there globally? Forty million people, maybe fifty million people have some sort of Irish heritage, and I don't think I've been anywhere in the world where I haven't been able to find some connection. And because it's so small, usually those connections are you're in some far flung place, wherever it is, and you might meet somebody and you could either know them or know their cousin or there's just some connection. And yeah, it's just fantastic to be, you know, to be connected internationally with such a big group of people from such a small island. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm based in Chicago and I'm sure, you know, a huge Irish population here yeah. throughout the city. Um, and actually, going off of what Finn just said, my my brother in law, his he's a grandchild of Irish immigrants, so oh, I'm not sure I'm not sure if he knows about the dual citizenship. So I'll have to let him know. You better let him know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Aaron, uh, 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 last month, uh, President Biden was recently in Ireland, and um, in the lead up to this episode, we were we were talking about that, and you actually have a connection to one of the areas that he visited. Uh, can you tell us more about that uh, connection? Yeah. Um, so 
President Biden's kind of strange in some ways in that, as we just said, most people have some sort of Irish connection. President Biden, I think I read, has nine or ten of his great-grandparents are Irish. I think nine or ten. And they're what's called famine Irish. So they left Ireland during the famine, which is 1840s. And the reason that we have that foreign birth registration is lots of people who left, left reluctantly and maybe at some point wanted to come back or maybe their children would want to come back to have this connection. They've always felt that connection. So President Biden, most of his relatives are from a place in Ireland called County Loud. And County Loud is a peninsula on the northeast of Ireland, just underneath Northern Ireland. So it's kind of equidistant between Dublin and Belfast. That's where I'm from. Quite a, uh, I guess I have to say this, quite a beautiful part of Ireland amongst a, a lot of beauty. But yeah, a little peninsula, mountains close to the sea. Uh, it's called Carlingford. There's a lock, so quite a deep inlet. So yeah, really, really beautiful. And he's got cousins there. I think that was the third time he's visited. And yeah, so he's always felt a connection to it. And, you know, obviously from been that, uh, been from that area, it's, it's fantastic to see a president come over. He walked around, he did a, a tour around a town called Dundalk, um, which might, I think there's a Dundalk in the States. I think there's a Dundalk maybe outside Baltimore. And yeah. You know, he met some of the local people and then made his way down to Dublin. So that's really important for Irish people is the, the connection to an Irish or uh, a U.S. president of Irish heritage. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Aaron, final question in our like getting to know you. And this is something that we ask uh, all of our guests. But what are your you know favorite foods and favorite things to you like to do outside of work? Uh Good question. Uh, favorite foods. What's my favorite food? Uh, my favorite food, I think, is Japanese food. I love Japanese food. Sushi. Some good Japanese restaurants all over the world now. Uh, stuff I like to do, uh, like listening to podcasts, uh, as it happens. Uh, I have a mix of stuff that I like to listen to. Uh, music, ones, movies, books, history. Um, I do a lot of running. Do um probably three or four times a week. I'll try and get a, a run in. Done a few half marathons. I'd like to do a marathon. That's kind of my target this year. Do quite a bit of cycling. I go to gigs. I follow a soccer team in London called Tottenham Hotspur, which are not doing super well at the moment. I'll be going to a Tottenham Hotspur match tomorrow, which is a mixed emotion. It's a mm. It's near the end of the season. There's four games left and they're kind of sat like six, seventh in the table. So season might be kind of coming to an end, but not in a positive way. So yeah, I've, I've lots of stuff, sport, mostly sport and yeah, movies, reading books. Yeah. My, my, um, my brother is, uh, Hotspur. That's the club that he roots for. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So he'll, I, I don't follow, uh, uh, soccer uh all that closely i know things here and there just based off of like what my brother and brother-in-law uh discuss mm. but yeah that's my brother's club that that he took a pain. interest for yeah <laughs> um yeah i like sport is obviously very big it's it's not just soccer i follow i follow rugby mm -hmm. there's sports in ireland gaelic sports so there's a gaelic football and there's another sport called hurling 
And actually, my, my county is in a Leinster final against Dublin. Dublin is where the capital city is, and it's one of, or has been one of the best counties over the past five to six years. My county's the smallest county, and they are meeting in a Leinster final now in two weeks. And I might try and go to that. That'll be in Crow Park in Ireland, which is the national stadium for Gaelic sports. It's a pretty big stadium, you know, 90,000 people. A, a final in, in that stadium is, a, is an event to see. Aaron, has, uh, has immigration bled its way into Irish professional sports like it has in the U.S. and in England, where oftentimes many of the top players are uh, top athletes are immigrants themselves or the children of immigrants? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really good point, Finn. Actually, I think maybe in a, a kind of a slightly comedic way, Ireland's soccer team historically has been made up of lots of people of Irish heritage who have grown up maybe in the UK and other countries. And I think it was a World Cup in, I'm trying to remember what year it was in, in the States. Maybe 2000, was it? Before that, I can't remember. Um, oh, the men's? Yeah. Uh, I think like 90... 90... 94, maybe. Were, yeah. 94. That, that team would have been like 50% native-born Irish, if you can call them that, and then people of Irish heritage who played in, you know, leagues, maybe in Scotland, the United Kingdom, Italy, other places. Now... Uh, you know, soccer team would be made up of all sorts of people, you know, people who've uh, grown up in Ireland, people who have maybe come from all sorts of countries and live in Ireland. Uh, the Gaelic sports that I'm talking about that, you know, has participants of all backgrounds, athletics. Uh, yeah, pretty much all of the sports are well represented by the immigrant community, which is fantastic to see. You know, sports are really important in Ireland and it's very much grassroots community you know, it plugs you into the community and, you know, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see such, you know, good participation across all of the different communities. Kind of segues me into my first, uh, talk and shop question, we'll call it. Um, so you mentioned at the beginning uh, of this conversation that immigration policy in Ireland is, is relatively new. Um, can you summarize the progression of immigration policy in Ireland in the last few decades and then talk about where it stands in 2023? Very new is the answer, Finn, very new. It's only really, I'd say, 20, 25 years old. You know, the original Immigration Act in Ireland is 1935, I think. It's called the Aliens Act, and it's really a hang-on from United Kingdom law, and it kind of deals with issues that then fed its way into the Second World War. You know, maybe people who accidentally ended up in Ireland during that period, uh, you know, how to deal with those. And then there's no real developments. It's mostly a history of emigration, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Then Ireland joins the EC as it was in 73, at the same time as the United Kingdom joined it. And then that starts to change things. Suddenly now there's funds coming in from overseas. The economy starts to change. There's more foreign direct investment. And then 90s is the start of economic development in Ireland. We set up an international financial services centre in Dublin. That brings in overseas funds, as in regulated funds, and lots of finance-type jobs. And then around 2000s, 
things really start to change and the economy's picking up, there's good growth, and now suddenly there's a need for overseas workers, which probably hadn't been there previously. So there's the creation of an employment permit system, there's some immigration acts, and people start to come into the country. And basically then over the space of maybe 20, 25 years, you know, a couple of hundred thousand people have come into quite a small, you know, island. And, you know, I would say probably most countries are represented in some way in Ireland now, you know, there's, I think, have a naturalized maybe hundred and something, 120, 130 nationalities have nationalized or naturalized rather to Irish citizenship. So yeah, it pretty much comes from zero to quite a modern, developed, not you know entirely digital, but quite digitized system of overseas workers, highly skilled foreign talent coming in to work in all of the multinational companies that are based there. And all of the big multinationals have a European or world headquarters in Dublin. And just, there's lots of reasons for that, but Ireland would like to say it's because of the population of very highly educated English-speaking people. It's the only English-speaking country now in the EU with the departure of the United Kingdom. So yeah, so now it's uh, quite a developed system. The government and probably employers would see it as a country of full employment, you know, all, all of the all of the population that's uh, possibly working is working at the moment. So yeah, it's a, it's a very positive time in Ireland. Yeah. I want to dive into that last point a little bit more. Um, you mentioned how there, you know, it's, it's kind of well known that there are a lot of multinational organizations that are headquartered in Ireland and, you know, as a small Island of only, you know, five, 6 million people, it does seem strange that it would have such a massive footprint in the, in the, you know, world business landscape. Uh, was that intentional by the Irish government? Did they set up their tax and regulatory environment to invite uh, that sort of investment? Um, and and what do you think the strategy for uh, 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 ironing out the impacts of that going forward will be? So, yes, absolutely. The strategy has been to try and attract those companies. Actually, President Trump arrived in Ireland yesterday to a place called Dunbeg which is on the west coast, County Clare. Uh, there's a big golf course there. And I just read a comment this morning, and I think it, uh, the quotation was, Ireland has done a good job of luring companies uh, to these shores, or something to that effect. And that's right, but I'm not sure I would use the word lure. It kind of, you know, maybe puts a different spin on what has been a very positive experience not just for the companies but for Ireland and really uh, I guess how it starts is transatlantic travel so flight between Europe and uh, the States initially it was it was only possible to to make it between the two closest points of land so lots of those original transatlantic flights landed in Ireland and then refueled and then went on to UK France Germany so an airport developed in a place not far from Dunbeg, where President Trump has his, or former President Trump has his golf course called Shannon. And Shannon is an interesting place. It's one of the only planned towns in Ireland. 
lots of Titans in Ireland are, you know, thousand over a thousand years old. It could be Viking, it could be Norman, it could be, you know, all sorts of origins. And this town is really based around an airport. And that airport was the start of free trade zones. So special economic areas, government incentive to locate companies there. Duty free is a concept and travel, I understand, started there. And that was to try and sell Irish products to people, travelers who maybe had stopped off in Ireland and try and capture some of the tourism. Originally, lots of the people arriving into Ireland would have been tourists. So that's the start of a free economic area with a government incentive to base companies there. And then that through 40s, 50s via an agency called the IDA, the Irish Developmental Agency, really starts to encourage companies to come to Ireland, set up their either European or just an Irish entity, and all sorts of companies start to come to Ireland. There's a low corporation tax, you're given a grant to set up a company, and it's all about jobs creation, because small country, not a huge amount of national or natural resources, really it's it's pretty much based on uh, creation of employment. So big companies start to set up, Intel, Apple, Dell Computers, they all set up via this IDA, create jobs, and brings us up to date to what we were talking about now, where, you know, huge amount of multinationals based in Ireland, all the tech companies, but not just tech, there's pharmaceutical companies, there's medical devices, there's some manufacturing. And yeah, so that's that's pretty much the the main focus of not just the IDA, but the government's initiatives in not just, you know, trying to get these companies to come here and set up, but to stay here, to continue to expand, to create employment, and then corporate tax or corporation tax is the next piece of it. Corporation tax in Ireland is 12.5%. That's pretty low comparatively. UK, for instance, it's 20%, and other EU countries would have a higher rate. Um, that's something everybody's looked closely at. Obviously, Ireland has got this as a, a key point of, of their economic policy. Other countries would like to see Ireland raise its tax rates, particularly other EU countries. And there is a plan to increase it now, but on a threshold basis, depending on the size of the turnover of the company. And I think the plan is to increase it by 2.5%. That's been agreed. That's on the basis of like a framework of countries who've signed up to an international tax treaty. I think there's maybe 150 countries in it, and our Minister for Finance has signed that agreement. So I think that's maybe going to change things a little bit as as you know the years pass it's going to be a slightly higher tax rate but probably still compares favorably to other countries so so you mentioned uh, you alluded to it there a little bit about how you know ireland is part of the eu and uh mo you know so somewhat recently uh the other country uh on the isle uh left the eu um how is Brexit, uh, you know, now five, six, seven years removed, how has that impacted uh, the, the labor mobility and immigration landscape uh, in Ireland? And you can speak to the UK if you'd like as well. Has it been five, six, seven years, Finn? Seems okay. like it's it's been forever. And in other ways, it seems like <laughs> it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
the reason President Biden was in Northern Ireland was because of Brexit and the Good Friday Agreement. The Good Friday Agreement, I think, was 1998, I think. Um, the, the, the main complexity now, exactly as you said, is you've got an island. One part of it is not in the EU anymore. One part of it is. Northern Ireland's considered part of free trade with the EU. It's kind of almost like a halfway house. So that's because there's no border. There's no land border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. And both countries have operated quite closely together over the past, you know, I want to say five to 10 years. And that's only increased since Brexit. Trade between Northern Ireland and Ireland has increased by a huge amount. Previously, the actual physical export of goods would have gone via what they call the land bridge. So it would have been shipped over to the United Kingdom, to Great Britain, travel over land, and then either onto the Eurostar or onto ships and on into continental Europe in that way. Now, because Northern Ireland can trade freely with the EU because of its special status, are going via the Republic of Ireland and new shipping routes have emerged in Ireland that haven't been there for a long, long time to get around the Brexit complexities because of the documentation and the difficulties. And now they're shipping routes from, from the Republic of Ireland to Spain and Denmark and France, you know, all sorts of places that literally didn't exist six months uh, a year ago. So that's put Northern Ireland in quite a positive place. Their economy is booming in some ways because of what we would call Brexit advantages. Uh, the other part I'd say is in terms of the immigration piece, there was a plan at one point uh, due to changes in the immigration process in the UK to require Irish residents, so not Irish people, but Irish residents, who would be visa required into the UK to get some sort of visa waiver if they were traveling into Northern Ireland. But if you go look at the border in Northern Ireland, Ireland, there's basically almost no distinction between the countries. There's communities that exist across both of them. People live in Northern Ireland, work in the Republic and vice versa. And it just would have been impossible. You know, there's a couple of hundred thousand crossings per day for people who just live and work or go to school or family in, in both countries. And that was pretty much on the cards up until I think a couple of months ago. And now that's, uh, that's shied away. The other aspect of it from the Republic of Ireland's perspective is what they call Brexit advantages. So obviously some companies to get around the complexities of now being outside the EU with their headquarters or companies in the UK, particularly in London, started to move some of those operations to other countries. Lots of them moved to Germany in finance, to, to Frankfurt, I understand, maybe to Paris. And there have been new jobs in Dublin uh, as a result of companies leaving because of Brexit, but not to the same extent that people expected. And then again, Northern Ireland has benefited because of this special status that it has. And actually lots of UK or Great Britain companies have set up operations in Belfast and in Northern Ireland to take advantage of the situation that they have. So it's kind of created uh, advantages there and that's created, you know, a demand for talent, employment. Um, so yeah, so look, it's been undoubtedly, you know, one of the biggest changes 
in in Irish history in the last hundred years. But it has created problems, but it's also created, you know, huge opportunities and advantages. And, you know, lots of people and government policies are there to exploit that. Yeah, I mean, we've just covered a few issues, right? Obviously, there's a there's a lot in the background that impacts Irish immigration policy and where it stands today in 2023. But at a more granular level, you know, a lot of the listeners to this podcast tend to be folks who work in an HR global mobility team uh, at companies from around the world. Some of them may have a footprint in Ireland, some of them may not. Um, but just to set the stage, and I want to pass it off to Eric after this to ask some additional questions, just to set the stage, can you walk us through some of the most common uh, employment-based or work permit pathways uh, in Ireland? Yeah, sure. Um, so just two main ways of bringing overseas talent into Ireland. There are two permits that I'd mentioned, the critical skills employment permit is the one that most people will have heard of, or maybe will qualify for it. That's to attract overseas, highly skilled people. Your job needs to be on a, what's called a critical skills eligible occupation list. There are roles that are in demand that can't be filled from talent in Ireland. That list would include jobs such as engineers, software engineering, medical roles, accountants, all of those, if they pay a salary of above 32,000 euros and you have a relevant degree, you'll qualify for a critical skills permit. The other type, the main type is called the general employment permit. That's all other jobs, not on that highly skills list that pays above 30,000 euros, as long as that job isn't what's called ineligible, which is a list of jobs that don't qualify. Those jobs tend to be ones that should be capable of being fulfilled from inside Ireland or inside the EU or the EEA. So they tend to be, sometimes people will call them low skilled or, or low paid. Lots of them aren't low skilled, they're just differently skilled. Um, both those permits are the two main types of attracting overseas talent. You must have an entity in Ireland for the most part. You need to have 50% of your workers be EEA nationals. The IDA, the agency that we mentioned, they can assist with certain aspects of it, such as exemption from labor market testing. You don't need to advertise in a particular way if you're an IDA client company. And at the moment, as of today, it takes about three weeks to do either of those permits. Um, over the last few years, at certain points, it took six months, maybe nine months to do an employment permit just to have it processed. So it's down to three weeks and the government is committed to getting it down and keeping it down to about a week. So I think that'll uh, compare very favorably to most countries. And yeah, we've a, we've a pretty good system at the moment for, for companies bringing in overseas talent. You said three weeks to get an employment permit? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here, I mean, we're still in the midst of H1B cap season here uh individuals just got selected but they're not eligible to work in, until october 1st if their full petition yeah. is accepted so yeah it's just like a crazy comparison to look at yeah and that's because ireland knows it's in competition with other countries mm -hmm. if those jobs that the ida had fought so hard to create in a company if they took that long some of those companies will have operations in other countries states obviously Maybe in APAC, Singapore, 
you know, and if those processes work a little bit better, we're so globally connected now in terms of the work that we can do. Physical location is important, but maybe it's just a factor that's important. And, you know, there's other factors. Mm -hmm. But yeah, three weeks is pretty much what it is at the minute. And yeah, I'm very happy to say that. And I'm very happy to tell clients that because I haven't always been given uh, that positive uh, a spin on the right. process. Yeah. Right. Um, Aaron, so Aaron, I know you, you were talking about Brexit and I agree. It's hard to believe that, you know, it's been what, six, seven years, uh, that, you know, it all, it all started. Um, and you talk about some other changes. So it, it seems like the Irish government, um, lately, and I, they have announced efforts to, to modernize their immigration system. Hmm. Uh, what, what are some of the changes that excite you most about this uh, ongoing digitization effort? Yeah, so the government are very focused on digitization, not just in this area, but in all areas, but particularly in, in immigration. As I said, I'm talking about a three week profile now of an employment permit. It's an online portal. We can do all of it electronically. We gather documents, we prepare the applications, we submit them. It's all pretty much electronic. Five years ago, we would have been creating hard copy documents getting wetting signatures. In fact, even paying the application fee for the employment permit required sending the government a check, waiting for the government to acknowledge the check. Documents get lost in the post. The permit had to issue originally, it had to go to wherever the employee was in the world. If it went missing, you would have to start the process again. And, you know, it worked, but it just about worked. And we're bringing in software engineers and you know all sorts of it people who are operating in a completely different space and you know i think that really influenced the government to start to modernize this process because it just didn't work you know you needed to physically attend an office to do your immigration registration you still do but only your first registration they get your biometrics they create your residence permit after that it's an online portal too so there are two recent developments. They were a long time coming in some ways. You know, we as practitioners have been crying out for those, but that's what we have at the minute and they do work quite well. That's just the start of a process. So there's a whole statement of strategy to digitize all aspects of not just corporate immigration, but the other you know processes we spoke about, naturalization, citizenship, farm bird registration. Um, at the minute, we have a two-stage process, so I'm talking about three weeks to do an employment permit, but everybody into Ireland is split into what they call visa, non-visa required nationalities. Uh, US nationals don't need a visa. Other nationalities, Chinese nationals, Nigerians, Indian nationals, they do need a visa, and that can only be applied for after the employment permit is approved. The visa is submitted at the local embassy. Uh, Ireland doesn't have embassies in every country small country got you know quite a big footprint for our size but we don't have embassies everywhere so you have to ship original documents you have to go through another process that can take six weeks in some countries maybe longer the next plan for the government is to combine both those processes so digitize maybe a visa system and combine it with the employment permit process they do overlap there's no real reason to have two separate ones so i'm as a practitioner in this area, I'm really looking forward to that development. You know, that's going to save 
a lot of pain and time for us and for our clients. Other aspects uh, that hopefully will come through are, you know, at the EU level, there's plans to create e-visas, you know, Schengen visas at the moment, depending on your country, you have to apply at an embassy. Again, it's physical documents, there's very specific rules. You know, the amount of journeys, the amount of days that you can stay in the Schengen zone. And I think the council have agreed, the, the EU council, as of February, March this year, to roll out what they call an e-Schengen visa. So the whole process will become digitized. You'll submit online. You will no longer get this sticker or the vignette into your passport. It'll be recorded in some sort of electronic way. It'll be issued digitally. Again, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the final thing, which is maybe a little bit more future state, as well as those e-visas, is e-passports. You know, most passports have a chip at the moment. The next wave of passports globally are going to be an electronic document. And all of your visas, all of your entries and exits, all of your trips will be contained securely in a digital way. And I think for all of us, you know, that's going to be a game changer. Look how quickly, you know, immigration has been affected by digital processes. And I think, you know, we think this might be like, this is way off in the future. I don't think it is. I think this is like in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see this. Maybe sooner. Yeah, no, those are those are some very exciting developments. And I mean, just from my perspective, anything that, you know, helps to ease and simplify the immigration process uh, sounds like a winner. Uh, Finn, uh, did you have a, a something, another question? No, I think we were just both smiling as Aaron was talking about how quickly the Irish government made the transition from paper documentation, physically sending in petitions, wet signatures to digital, because that's something that the U.S. government seems incapable of doing uh, yeah. on any reasonable yeah. timeline. <laughs> yeah, for whatever it, it, reason. I mean, yeah, I mean, comparing, I mean, Aaron, it seems like the Irish government is being proactive in this manner, whereas uh, on the on, on like what's wet ink signatures, for instance. It took the start of a global pandemic for USCIS to, you know, change how they accept those types of, you know, signatures. So it, it's it's just crazy to, to see other countries uh, move at a speed that, you know, Finn and I, you know, we, we, we don't see over here. The best part was USCIS didn't even formally update the rule for months. They just made it ambiguous and we're supposedly accepting not wet signatures and immigration lawyers talk to each other. Aaron, I'm sure you have friends who talked oh. about this, but it must be nice to have a government that is clear about their rules and when they change them. Yeah. And I'll be honest, actually, a lot of it came from COVID because uh, the lockdowns in Ireland were pretty extensive. I think we had one of the longest global lockdowns and you weren't allowed to go to a place of work unless you're in a particular industry, you know, the spe specialized service, legal services were exempt from it for the most part. But at that point, employment permits were issued in a physical paper based format. The employer got one, the employee got one. And it was remarkable. I would say like within two weeks of the first COVID lockdown, guidance had been issued. This is what we're going to do during this period. We're going to issue it in a PDF and you're going to be able to travel with it if you can travel and you, you know, you, 
with all of the particular emerging rules, which change so many times globally in different countries. And loads of the, we'll call them COVID-related processes, were expected to be temporary, but actually were so positive and so well received for everybody, not just for us, but for the government authorities. They likewise didn't have to go into an office and print out a physical employment permit on special paper and issue them that they just worked and at the end of it, they just adopted pretty much all of them and said, these are all permanent changes. I didn't actually expect that, I'll be honest. I, I didn't expect it, but it was fantastic to see it. Um, and that includes, you know, the removal of wet ink signatures. Even at that point, you still had to wet ink sign and scan and upload a scan of the signatures and stuff. And now there's other, you know, solutions to e-signatures. I never understood why we needed waiting signatures. You know, there's e-signatures, there's specific law on e-signatures, e-commerce in, in, in the EU and in Ireland many, many years, probably 20 years old or maybe 15 years old at this stage. But yeah, I think we definitely change pretty quickly. And I see in other countries that just haven't speeded up their processes as much yeah. yet, but I think they will, they will, they'll have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Aaron, I got two more questions and then I'll turn it back to Finn. Uh, so just kind of wrapping up everything that we've talked about with, you know, the you know post-Brexit, you know, the current uh, state of Irish immigration, how it's evolved, the di ongoing digitization efforts. How can employers make the most of Irish immigration? So the most... Uh advantageous things we've probably spoken about you know the quick processing time there's a big talent pool there's good employment permit processes it's got good corporation tax you know all of those things kind of sell themselves in terms of setting up and the advantages you know they're probably too big to mention in a podcast we could probably have a separate podcast just to discuss them but yeah you know the the advantages of the Irish immigration system for employers, all of these things that we've spoken about that are positives came about because employers through their employees or through themselves spoke about improvements to the, to the, to the system generally. And the government authorities have taken those and have adapted and changed their processes. So you get to feed into and you get to develop an immigration process that works for you as a company and your employees. You know, the pain points that we had over the years, other ones we spoke about, in-person attendance, you know, uh, visas, all of those things, the plans to change that again come about because of input from employers, companies that are based in Ireland. Um, it's a good system. There's a good pool of talent in Ireland. You know, we're uh, probably one of the uh, well, I don't want to compare education systems, but Ireland, I think, does favour quite well with other countries. We've got free university education, so there's a very highly educated workforce. But if you can't find the talent that you need in Ireland or the EU, and you can hire across the EU, EU nationals can technically go anywhere, live anywhere, work anywhere, then you can utilise the system that we have and you can bring in workers uh, to scale up your entity. We've got short-term options. We've got a 90-day permit. We've got a 90-day intermittent permit. That's really useful for companies who maybe are installing equipment, maybe you know deploying people temporarily to projects. 
We've got an even shorter term permission for two weeks. Sometimes we see people coming in to do, you know, just one block of work. And previously we didn't have a solution to that. And we've created a, what they call a 14 day exemption where you basically you do a visa, you come in and you can work for, for a full 14 day period. And we've got obviously the ICTs that other countries have. And yeah, you know, we've got just options that suit business and it's very business orientated. It's very company employer driven and not just employer or employee driven, but we've got really robust employment legislation. We're part of the EU. We've got all the benefits of the regulations to protect, you know, both your, your employees and your company. So to kind of tie it to everything you've talked about to us immigration, and the system that we have over here in the States. Are there any aspects of the Irish immigration system that you think the U.S. government should look into? Well, <laughs> definitely the digital signatures. I think that to me, I look at my colleagues in the States, I go onto LinkedIn and I see pictures of files hard copy, what we would call hard copy files, they're sat on shelves and it's like cap season. Look at all the files and they're stacked, you know, a hundred high. It's hard to believe really in 2023 that that process still exists, not just that it has to be filed, that you don't know the outcome, that it's hard copy documents, you know, it's to, to us to look at, you know, it just seems like such a laborious process. Um, we were there. There are still some applications that need to be submitted in Ireland that are physical hard copy documents. You know, we've done them recently. Need to extend somebody's permission exceptionally, you have to submit a, you know, a huge amount of documentation, full copies of passports, you know, bank statements, all of those things. They are part of Ireland's digitization strategy and they will be digital. And you will be able to go in as a user onto a portal and look at some overseas expat and look at all of their applications and all of their documents. And that's not too far away in Ireland. I think that for me would be the, the main processes that really should be, uh, you know, implemented in the States as quickly as possible. Digitization of applications, digital signatures, no hard copy filing. Even the lottery system in itself is probably quite a difficult one for some countries to, to comprehend. You know, I know it's a fantastic opportunity to get, but it must cause so many problems for employers and, and employees and just to have that uncertainty. You know, you don't, you don't get selected, maybe you have to go overseas somewhere and, you know, we, we call them parking, don't we? We, we send them abroad to be parked somewhere. So you're, you're now parked in another country. Do you, are you going to settle down there? Are you going to, you know, are you going to come back? But, you know, that, that to me just seems like such a difficult thing for, for employees and their families to, to have to deal with. So, I, you know, I think that should be maybe looked at. I think that is a wise recommendation there, Aaron. Um, just to wrap things up here, I want to uh, move things to a bit of a lighter note. You recently participated in Envoy's Immigration Day in Dublin. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what that day and what that event was? Yeah. Um, so Immigration Day uh, was an Envoy-sponsored event in Dublin. We held it at the Law Society of Ireland. 
in a beautiful facility that they have there, the President's Hall. Uh, the Law Society is where solicitors, lawyers are trained. I attended it myself many years ago. And this was an event uh, organized by Sophie King and some of the other team at Envoy and was attended by maybe a hundred people, mix of Irish immigration professionals, overseas immigration professionals. We spoke about really about the success of the Irish immigration system. You know, Ireland as a model for other overseas systems. And we had attendance by two government ministers, Minister Neil Richmond, who's a the minister at the moment in charge of employment permits in the Department of Business, he opened up our day. He had an excellent speech and spoke very positively about the benefits of immigration in Ireland, about the employment permit system, about some of the, you know, the opportunities and developments that's going to come. And then we had a workshop. We had, uh, you know, speakers. I was one of the speakers on a, on a panel to discuss Ireland, and I was very happy to take part in a very positive, uh, you know, day. We had some really interesting questions, some really interesting speakers. We had somebody from the IDA, the agency that we mentioned, and it was closed by Minister Simon Coveney, who's the Minister for Foreign Affairs, and he's quite an experienced minister. He's worked in you know, he was in charge of the Brexit negotiations at one point. He worked in the EU. He's the Minister for Defence at the moment. And like, just really uh, very inspiring speech. Again, you know, spoke very passionately about the advantages that Ireland has, has received from immigration and how this is going to continue to, to, to be, a, you know, the prime policy of government. Spoke a little bit about the challenges that we have in the world at the moment. You know, Ukraine nationals, there's about 100,000 have arrived into Ireland over the last year and a bit, and they get the benefit of temporary protection as they do in other EU countries. And, you know, the Minister Coveney says that Ireland was absolutely committed to continuing that. So, yeah, it was a really fantastic day, uh, really enjoyable, very engaging, and just good to be amongst fellow-minded immigration professionals from all over the world. You know, it's a it's a small family immigration and yeah, we, we tend to operate in a, in a global network and it's so interesting to hear about other countries and other developments. And, you know, quite a few people said to me enviously, I think, you know, wow, the Irish immigration system at the moment is just operating so well, you know, I wish I could say that back in, you know, whatever country. So yeah, really, really fun day. Absolutely fantastic to be involved. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, uh, I saw a lot of the photos from the event. It looked looked terrific. Looked like a Ooh. great time, and uh, hopefully, it's it's one that Envoy can continue to do in the future, uh, repeat in the future rather. Um, Aaron, well, we appreciate you being so generous with your time uh, and, and and with your thoughts on the topic of Irish immigration. Uh, as we wrap up here, any any final thoughts on maybe a topic we didn't hit on that you want to share? And then also, where can people find you? Where can folks in the audience uh, follow you? Do you use LinkedIn? Do you use Twitter? Anything like that? Yeah, I, I mostly operate on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, you know, you'll see uh, we post some stuff there. Obviously, Irish news, Irish developments, interact with some of those other professionals that we're talking about. You know, I think LinkedIn is probably the main platform if you, if you want to find uh, anything to do with me. Uh, I am on Twitter. I, I, I don't post on it too often, if, if I'm honest. Um, you know, there's there's definitely going to be developments in Ireland in immigration over the next few years. I think more positive developments. And, um, 
yeah, citizenship, th those areas, you know, because of the historic aspects of Ireland, I, I like to to kind of dabble, not dabble as such, but I like to kind of keep a foot in, in those areas. And yeah, we're probably going to roll out some videos in relation to those, some information videos for people. So yeah, they should be rolling out on, on LinkedIn. Topics that we didn't get to discuss, touched on a lot of areas, you know, we kind of, you know, looked at it uh, in a 360 way, you know, there are negatives in in immigration in Ireland as well, you know, that we didn't speak about. There's a you know, tiny minority in Ireland that are maybe anti-immigrant and maybe that voice is heard uh, all around the world in certain ways. It's quite a small vo voice at the moment. The government, as I say, uh, you know, spoke a little bit about that and says that that's not something that they view as a problem, that it's a, you know, it's a very small vo voice. Um, there's other immigration processes that just aren't perfect at the moment that I'd definitely like to see some further development on. Uh, one in particular, uh, the atypical working schemes got uh, some small problems at the moment. Some of the visa processing can take a little bit uh, too long. Um, but yeah, look, there's always going to be problems. And, you know, as long as you have a government that listens to the problems and is committed to fixing them, there's going to be solutions. So, yeah. I think uh, it was a really nice chat. Uh, delighted to be here. Thanks so much for for giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys. Re really enjoyable. Yeah, Aaron, it's great to have you on. We hope to have you back soon, uh, maybe a few months from now, to talk about any updates that are happening in uh, the Irish immigration landscape. That'd be fantastic. And be and and, and uh, sports updates too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, we appreciate your time. Uh, Finn and I really enjoyed having you on uh, this, sh uh, this this episode. Um, and yeah, uh, have a have a good rest of your day. Fantastic, thanks, guys. Really nice to talk with you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Finn. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Immigration and Mobility Decoded. Uh, if you watched this video on YouTube and you enjoyed it, please hit the like button and consider subscribing to the Envoy Global YouTube channel for more content like this. Uh, otherwise, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone.